Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is actor Richard Ellis. Hi Richard, how's it going? Not too bad, thank you. How are you? Number 75, so there's 74 people you've spoken to before me. Yes, yeah. Okay, you better be good at it by now then. So, so you you were 75th on my priority list. That's good to know. Always make someone feel special, doesn't it, number 75? <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for going on, though. Um, how has like this period of, of lockdown since March 2020 been for you? Well, um, to be honest with you, it was, it was a real... When, the, when we first went into lockdown... It was bizarrely, apart from no work, but I still thought I was going to get helped by the government for a while. The first three months of it were some of the best times I've had in a long, long time. <laughs> because I moved my mum in with me, so mum was living with yeah. us. My daughters were here, my wife was here. And I just had a really lovely time because for the first time in my adult life, I wasn't worrying about getting an acting job. Because there weren't any. Yeah. It was it was a really kind of liberating thing. After that then, of course, when I realised nothing was really going to help me out, things changed, you know. But for those first kind of maybe six to eight weeks of lockdown, mm. I had a lovely time. I just really liked it. And it's one of those kind of, I'm almost kind of coming out to someone who's enjoyed it slowly. Mm. It's one of those things I haven't said to a lot of people, but now... I'm just kind of remembering it almost already through rose-tinted glasses of just, you know, the time. The time was amazing. And for me, not having that constant kind of work angst, it wasn't there. I I couldn't do anything. For the first time I had a life, there wasn't an audition that I was missing out on. Or there wasn't a job I might get. It was done. Just sit Mm. back, relax. And you can't do anything about it, so it was quite nice. And um, did you do any Zoom acting during the lockdown? Um, I did. I did do a little bit. I did. I did bizarre kind of Zoom comparing, and I did a Zoom stand-up right. with a great company, a couple of great companies. Yeah, kitchen sink um, and theatre hijinks did oh, kind of a crossover. And I got to be someone who was commentating on hamster racing. Oh, no. Nice. And it was just, it was brilliant. I also kind of, I did um, a YouTube channel. Uh, channel. I started one with my daughter right. called Lock Dad, which is basically <laughs> about our family. And we just kind of, it gave us a 
teacher, and we'd mm. get up and we'd have a production meeting. <laughs> my daughters would write the story, and then we'd film it in the afternoon and we'd put yeah. it up there. So, there was just right. something that we just had a lot of fun doing it. And, and, you know? and your wife, Tonya, is an actor and a director as well. She is. Was it, yes. was it nice that you were both home at the same time? Because I imagine there's a lot of times when one of you's working away and one of you's home. Was it nice to have that time together? It, it was really lovely. It was. You know, we, we'd have things that we never do. We'd have really long, kind of three-hour lunches. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Where we'd cook and we'd put stuff out and we'd go, who wants to do this? And we'd just chat and we kind of, we kind of did a lot of non-screen time because mm. that's what we're battling with our youngest daughter as well, of oh, course, okay. screens. Yeah. And with the homeschooling, they had to be on the screen in the morning because they were doing their schoolwork. But then by about one o'clock, we went, right, let's just do stuff. And we'd have long walks. We're very lucky to live near a golf course, which mm. we're never allowed on usually because, oddly enough, I'm not paying £500 a year to hit a ball into a hole. So, um, but the golf course was closed, but we were allowed to walk our dog on it during lockdown. So we just do things like that. Yeah. And yeah, just the time with Tonya was lovely because we do have times, you know, it's a very feast or famine life we live. Mm. And either we're kind of going, oh my God, I wish you'd get out of the house. Or, but she tends to say that, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> or, or we like pass in ships in the night and we don't see each other for, you know, mm. sometimes literally weeks on end. So it's kind of, but, it's, but we've been together a long time. Mm. And because we're both in the industry, I think we both understand what we need to do. So yeah, it's a very supportive relationship. I'm very, very lucky with that. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, go back to the beginning for my first question, like I do okay. with all my guests. How did you first get interested in theatre? Oh, well, I'm I'm quite traditional with. I'm I'm, I'm a Welsh speaker. I grew up, you know, and um, I grew up in Trap outside Armenford, between Armenford and Llandaglo, and I went to the local school. And there was, like, I think, 28 of us in the school. Or in my year, I think there was three people in my year. So from the age of kind of five, we all did every school show. <laughs> we all did every Eisteddfod because, you know, there, there wasn't options of who to choose. Mm. So I'd always done it. <laughs> and my father, as well, had a massive love for amateur dramatics. Right. And he was in choirs and in a band. And he did stand-up. And he did a bit of acting work. So it was kind of like, it had always been there and it was an option. And theatre, the first time it really caught me was, it's going to sound really, but it was Swansea Grand Panto. Right. And watching Neil Morrissey. I remember it very clearly. Yeah. I must have been about eight or nine years old. And I went to see the show with school, I think. And then I went again, kind of six weeks on, with my family and there was one moment where a bit of scenery fell, which I thought the first time was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, because like, oh my God, look, they're making it up. And I saw it six weeks later, and exactly the same thing um... happened again, and I went, that's magic now. They're mm. making me think like I've seen something special. And it just opened up, kind of, I like a yeah. room in my mind of, oh, wow. 
look what we can do. And, you know, it, since maybe 11 or 12 years old, I've never really considered anything else as a job. Did you know at 10 or 11 that you wanted to be an actor? This is what I'm going to do. Maybe not necessarily actor, because it wasn't really a feasible... I knew I was going to do this kind of stuff like my dad was doing. Right. Because my, my dad was a teacher, so I was like, it might not be my job, but I need to do this. And then I got on to the National Youth Theatre of Wales... Yeah. When I was 16, and that's the first time um, an amazing guy who mentored me and who stayed with me and is still a friend of mine now, and I got called Paul Clements, right. was my teacher there, and he said, and first time I'd ever even heard it, he said to me, you can do this for a living, you know. I think you should do this. And I went, oh my God, okay. That's just something yeah. new and amazing. And that was, so that must have been, what, 16, where it was like, Ooh, I can yeah. actually do it. Because I thought it was something I'd always do, but not, you know, not get paid for. Was that from a lack of confidence in what you could do? I don't think, I think it was just in a lack of awareness. And in right. a lack of, you know, there aren't people like me who are doing it ever. It's really weird because, you know, I'm obviously publicum and things like that. But that didn't feel like... Uh, a profession because yeah. we knew a lot of the people who did it and it just at that age it just felt like an extension of what my dad did to me mm. obviously as soon as you get into it i'm very aware that it's not that but at kind of 11 12 we, we kind of knew the people who were on telly in in s4c yeah and i hadn't i hadn't equated it to being much different to what my dad did so See. it's kind of a weird thing really yeah but, but from the theatre point of view, it was, you know, I didn't understand you could do theatre for a living, really. And you went to the Welsh College of Music and Drama, not Royal in those days. Um, no, I went there when the standard was much lower. Yes, <laughs> I did, yeah. So how, how did you decide to apply to go, first of all? Oh. Uh, it's, uh, it's Paul Clements again. Paul Clements, who was my tutor in the National Youth Theatre of Wales, was also the head of acting at Welsh College. Right. And it was the only drama school I applied for. I didn't apply for it anywhere else. I didn't do anything. Everywhere else was universities. Lots of school were trying to get me to do law. Right. I should be a barrister. I should do this. I should do law. I should do law. So it's the only drama school I applied for. You know, didn't apply for anywhere else. Did, did you apply to other universities to do other um, things? I did, but... I did do, but, but only through a weird, I think, kind of... forcedness of it. I, right. You know, I kind of... I applied to Trinity College Carmarthen because it was 20 miles from home. Yeah. And that's what everybody did. Whether I genuinely thought I wanted to go there, I, I don't know. I would have gone there, and I would have done it, I'm sure, if there hadn't been anywhere else. But that's all I wanted, really, was drama school by then. But why I only applied to one is kind of, I think, mm. maybe tantamount to being from a little Welsh 
religion mm. thinking Cardiff's massive. <laughs> I never considered London. I mean, London felt like, well, that's going to be too much for me. You know, going from track and my 28 kids in the school to London yeah. just felt a bit too much. But Cardiff felt active enough and big enough, yeah. And what was your experience at Welsh College? Like, how much did you learn and develop as an actor um, during that time? I think it was kind of a odd one for me because I did straight from school, so I went there when I was 18. Right. And I think maybe I didn't fully understand some of the training because I hadn't been out to doing anything. Um, I was also, I still was doing National Youth Theatre of Wales and I found that was a really good crossover for me because I think I was getting practical performance skills quicker from the National Youth Theatre of Wales than I necessarily was from drama school. Right. I also had a split of voice tutors. I had my first year with one voice tutor and then the second year with someone else. So that maybe kind of didn't help me with the fluidity of feeling, but from the point of view of, you know, I made a lot of friends there, I got on with it, but maybe I used it possibly more as a you, me, first, first right. time living away, yeah. first time doing it, rather than, you know, the training. I've heard some people have used elsewhere. Not, not, not that there's anything lacking in the training. I'm just trying to guess whether I probably didn't do the best out of all the opportunities did, I had at the did, time. Did there. you not apply yourself in a way that maybe you should have didn't take I advantage think, of that opportunity? I think I probably applied myself as well as I could have with the self-knowledge of an 18-year-old. Whereas yeah, there were 22, 23-year-olds in my year who were flying and I was like, wow, I don't know how they do that. Well, they do it by, you know, having gone and done other jobs and yeah. known themselves maybe a bit more. Would you have gone later if you had your time again? Oh, I think I might have done, yes. I may have gone and tried to do something else, possibly, and then gone back to it. I may have even gone and done something mm. and then done an MA. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. a diploma course. Yeah. I don't. I think possibly the first two years of my training, I could have done in any uni because it was about me learning who I was. Mm. And I think I, I hadn't done that before I'd gone to drama school fully. And, like, coming out of uni, one of you searching you for this podcast, it seems as if you came straight out of drama school and got the part in EastEnders. Was that, yeah. was that pretty much the case? There was an overlap. I didn't quite finish right. drama school. Mm. I had to go... Um, I did a showcase the classic kind of showcase at the end of your third year. And we did it quite early. We did it in maybe the March. Right. I think of, of the final year. And I had a card saying, don't go back to Cardiff tonight. Uh, I want to meet you tomorrow. And I went and I met somebody called Jonathan McLeish, who'd seen the showcase. He was the head of casting for the BBC. 
he said, um, I'd like you to come back in two weeks. I want you to meet someone on EastEnders. I think you can do what they're looking for. And within two weeks, I was I got the part on EastEnders. And then wow. I had to write... I had to write my final pieces of work to be able to graduate <laughs> on creating the stu- the character of Hugh Edwards in EastEnders because I, I still had I still had a performance journal to write okay. and it was like that was going to be my last piece of work on a show that I do you know a third year show in drama school so they allowed me to do it on my EastEnders character so I still graduated thankfully. But I did leave, you know, three months early. You said creating the character of Hugh Edwards. How yeah. much say did you have in that? Was it a sense that it wasn't already fully fleshed out um, and written? It was, um, well, it was a weird thing. I thought I was going into it for three episodes. Right. And then when I was there, they started moulding it. So often with soap characters as they come in they'll do a little bit and they'll go away for maybe a month six weeks and then they come back in earnest okay. unless they have one that's for him so for me that was the case i came in as hill i did like three or four weeks but during i think in the second week i was there they were going i'm oh, extending you for six months so i was like oh okay right and then after the initial kind of burst of it Writers are pretty much writing for what they see you do. So you are steering the character. Not that you have anything to do with storylines or anything, but writers are watching your performances and they're steering you. Well, they they write for what your strong points are, really, I think. And from seeing that, they might understand, right, that's what he would do in this particular situation. You know, and... Or they definitely go, you know, Richard has... Not that I thought it at the time, I wasn't really in any way a comedy actor in my head. I was kind of a straight actor. I was classically trained. I was going to do this. But they were kind of going, we like his lightness and his playfulness. So they wrote a lot of that for my character then. So I spent kind of, you know, three years having parties and running around and creating havoc in Albert Square, which was... Kind of, I was very much peripheral in that way. I never really had a massive, major emotional storyline of myself. Right. But I still get people stopping me now and going, you just used to make us laugh. And we loved that in the soap. Do you know what I mean? So it, it was an important yeah. role, I think. And, and I'm how, not a major character. How did it feel to be the first Welsh character in EastEnders? Well, it's really, it's really weird because... Things went a little bit mental in Wales. It didn't right. go kind of like, wow. You know, <laughs> I was the most famous Hugh Edwards. Before actually Hugh Edwards, <laughs> I was more famous than Hugh Edwards was for a while. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the real Prince of Wales, obviously, Hugh Edwards. For, for a while there, you know, people said <laughs> Hugh Edwards and they thought of me, which is bizarre. Um, but there, there was a certain amount of pressure, I guess, in a way, and as well. It's hard as an actor on your own because you only play what they put in front of you as well. Yeah. And it felt difficult. It felt like, you know, I did get some negativity of, oh, the Welsh bloke's just playing a fool. And I'm going, well, I'm the only Welsh bloke, so 
I felt I was doing something. You know, there'd been Welsh well, actors in EastEnders yeah. before. There'd been an actor called uh, Gareth Potter, who's a good friend of mine. Yes, I know. He, but he hadn't, but he hadn't played a Welsh character. Gareth had gone in there and played a Cockney. So was it written in a stereotypical way at all, or did you feel that the representation was good and faithful? You know what? I don't think. The fact that he was Welsh wasn't an issue for anybody apart from the Welsh people watching it sometimes. Right. Which was really good to me. It was just like, my best friend was a guy called uh, Lenny, who was a black guy. I was with Robbie, who was like a bit of a weird. I was with Bianca and Ricky, and nobody was going, oh, here comes the Welsh one. I was just here who was in there. So I really liked that. You know, the fact that I was maybe a little bit of a dope smoking waster was irrelevant because we all were yeah it wasn't like i'd been picked out to be there and if it wasn't me there would have been maybe you know a scottish guy there or a mancunian yes. guy there yes. and then nobody would have maybe judged in the same way from where i i still get it now oh my god you sound so welshy and i go well this is the way i speak yeah and i hadn't changed it at all but i genuinely and it sounds really weird I still think it now, Welsh people aren't used to hearing our own accents against other accents. Yeah. And I think that's weird. You know, it's very rarely yeah. do we get a Welsh character in something that isn't Welsh. Yes. That's really interesting. Me. Yeah. So we're used to it when it's set in Wales, where the cast. But when yeah. there's like one individual, yeah, maybe it sounds still out of place within that setting, and I don't know why. And I think, and I think you know, me as well. I have a rural, up and down Welsh-speaking background accent. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm Welsh-speaking Tlenessi, and that's not something we hear a lot of. No. You know what I mean? We're used to kind of maybe the valleys a bit more now. You know, it's great now. Ellis James, yeah, Marvin. You know, he's got a lovely bit, and we're getting used to it now. There's more people around there, but you can still kind of you know name people mm. on your fingers. It's not like oh, there's so many we can't remember. So it's still kind of doing it and fighting it a little bit. I, uh, you know, I was going to ask this question later on, but I'm going to ask it now. Okay. Um, how important do you think it is that Welsh voices are heard on stage and screen outside of Wales in terms of actors and writers? And, like, what more do you think we can do as Welsh creatives to to improve that? But I think I think it's vitally important, like any representation is of any kind. It's vitally important, you know, for next generations. You know, if I don't see it, I can't be it. No. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's in all in all forms of representation, that's vital. And I think for us as Welsh actors, things are changing very very slowly. They are changing. We do get, you know, like Line of Duty. Yeah. Owen Teal happened to be Welsh and he was the blooming head or he was an inspector in the police. And you're going, yeah. I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago even. 
Do you know what I mean? And it's not nothing to do with Owen as an actor, but I don't think that would have happened. He'd have had to put on English, a different yeah. accent. Yeah. But he spoke as him, and he was like the chief of the police in London. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. All good, you know. So I think things are changing. We do have things like Tim Price is doing a lot. Alan yes. Harris. You know, you're getting out there, and you're doing showcases <laughs> in London, and we're seeing things. You know, yeah. young writers now have a different thing. And I don't know whether that is a kind of Russell T. Davis effect. Maybe. That, you know, you know that it's out there. Cardiff is doing loads of brilliant work for so much TV. And I think theatre mm. has to come from it then. I mean, the sheer, the sheerman has got links with places like the Royal Court. But those yes. links need to be strengthened, I think, to show... I, I think I, I think we're doing baby steps. Like Theatre Cloyd, like Tamara Harvey at yes. Theatre Cloyd is doing the same kind of links as well. I'm always I'm always slightly wary that we look too much outside sometimes as mm. well. Yes. But it's all very good about that. But we can do it here as well. And we should be proud of what we do here. And I think, for me, the other things come with that kind of, you know, being a, a proper big guy. You know, we're not an independent nation, but that's a step towards it, is having an independent voice. And we do have that. And I think yes. it's getting stronger and stronger, you know. Absolutely. I need people to keep advocating for it so that it does get stronger and for people outside of Wales to take notice. Um, yeah. In terms of acting for soap opera are there any additional challenges compared to other television genres like are the filming schedules tighter yeah 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 you do a lot of work very quickly it is you know i watch some of them now and i do a little bit on coronation street every now and again i pop up there so i watch a bit of that yeah now to try and keep my eye in a little bit to who the people I might be working with are. Um, and some of the performances that come out of actors, I just go, wow. When you know they've had two takes, maybe 20 minutes, and you go, if that was on film, they'd have had, they'd have had two days through that one scene. Yeah. And I know that's one scene of maybe 20 they're shooting that day. And you just go, hats off. Some of it is amazing. The main thing that's weird about it, though, is as well, um, if you're writing, if you're in like a long runner like that, yeah. you don't have an end point. You know, if you're in a film or you're in a play, you have an arc. Yes. Well, you, you, it's an open-ended character structure that you have to fall into in soap. Do Do you know what your character's objective is, like long-term objective, or do you only know what your character wants for the next? couple of episodes pretty much yeah because you know what the writers don't know what you want long term yet because they don't know where they need you to go or what they need you to do mm. so you have to as you say you, you can have sections where you go right i know for the next six weeks you know i'm gonna get my heart broken yeah in six weeks so i need to i need to pay up that i'm really falling for this woman or this man I'm really falling for them and you need to create that so you can have that drop but after that drop you don't know do I get over it I don't know do I meet somebody else and this was just an infatuation I don't know do you know what I mean those, <laughs> yeah. things, those are the things that are weird that you don't necessarily have 
those little hooks that I like to put in in any performance yes. of the arc of it, you can't do that is on it, a long runner like that. So it's weird. Is it a case of the performance isn't as detailed or textured because you don't have that level of preparation? Oh, I'm not sure. I think you have to play it more. You said it yourself, but minute to minute, it, it's more right. immediate. So, yeah, but you know, as people, we can think one thing today and I can get some more information next week and it changes my yeah. mind. Mm. So, we kind of, you need to roll with it like that a bit more. And of course, you have a different director next week, you have a different. Yes. So, you're the only constant, really. So, you need to be aware of that. So, that's something I learned from other performers of doing it. Whereas, you know, in, in a film or, or in a play, you'll have one director who's mm. got the umbrella view over it all. Yes. You don't have that guidance in the same way, you know? And in terms of directorially, was it a different experience on EastEnders than it was on Koi or Publicum? Are there soaps that are easier or more enjoyable to work on than others? Oh. You know what? Once you're doing it and you're there, they all tend to be studio multi-cameras. Right. So they can be four or you know, three or four cameras on you. So that's always it. So that means you only do it once a lot of the time, which puts mm. more pressure on you. As yeah. Well. Do you know what I mean? There's that. And then when you go out to location, you tend to go down to maybe once, sometimes two cameras. So that then feels more like traditional film and television mm. making man. It's the one camera and it becomes about continuity and repetition and the reliance on being able to recreate or refind yes. moments. Whereas you don't have that in studio. But they all seem to be the same once you're there. It's like there's some directors you like more than other ones because yeah. it's the same. When you work in an office, you like some people more than you exactly. like other ones. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's life, as it were. But general rule, it's all pretty good, I think, yeah. And your process, generally, not just in terms of soap. Yeah. Uh, your general acting process. Yeah. Um, does it change depending on what you're working on, and has it changed over the years? It, it's definitely changed over the years. I'm a, I'm a magpie, really. That I work with certain people, and, oh, I like that. In yes. rehearsal rooms... I pick up a lot of things. I also, I run workshops and I do a lot of teaching in that way. I read a lot. I'm kind of, I'm very much into reading about different practitioners and different things. So all of that is constantly developing for me. And for me, my process is always about making sure I know everything I need to know by the time I need to know it. So that, 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 that okay. so it's always the same process. But in a long-running telly, I don't have a month of rehearsals to find no. it. So I have to make shortcuts almost to finding what I need. I use a lot of Uta Hagen's systems okay. for nine questions and other things yes. like that. And I find that, I find it really... I always do it on every job, but in a theatrical rehearsal... I might spend a week doing it. You know, and you got more time. Yeah. If I've got a big scene tomorrow that I need to learn, I've got to do it. 
I'll still do right where what and all the important stuff goes in. Yeah. But it like goes into the front of my mind, not the back yes. of my mind like theatre does. That I makes I sense. Know. I guess. Does it look good? I guess when you in real um, in theatre, you've got like that as a bag of tools you can dip in and out of throughout the week, whereas in film or telly, it's there, and you know it's there, and you can use it more instantaneously. And in TV, more so even than film, I need to turn up having done that work. Mm. Whereas in the theatre, we do that work together. (laughs) Do you prefer working on that independently, or does it help to have a group of other creatives developing that stuff with you. It depends it depends sometimes on who the group of creatives are. Right. But but you know what I mean, that is the truth. It, it's that same thing. Sometimes other people's processes don't work and you have to go, okay, I need to get through this before I can go home and do my speedy process yeah. that I know that works for me. And that that's very honest and truthful there, you know. Not all rehearsal room processes work for everyone. And that's yeah. fine. So it's always good to have that backup there of knowing it. But when I get into a room with people, well, I just worked with Simon Nian, who's one of, you yes. know, I think just one of my, he's one of my best friends or one of the most open, warm actors ever. When you're rehearsing and working with someone like that, it just sings because you can chuck anything, mm. you can work anything, and he's just there ready to try something new. So that's amazing, mm. you know, to get to do that. And to watch him rehearse. Yeah. You know, I love watching people like Simon mm. rehearse because they just bring this kind of... He just has this instinct that I'm in awe of. I sit there <laughs> going, my God, he's brilliant, you know. <laughs> but then I have to get up and do it myself and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, sorry, Simon, messing it up. It's good. That, that's what was... I mean, I'm going to talk about getting up in a minute. But like okay. that, that's what was so great about seeing you and Simon and the other actors rehearsing that instinct, that bringing something to life. It's yeah. fantastic after after so long, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm going to talk about pantomime next. You revealed okay. in Panto at the Hackney Empire and at the Riverfront in Newport. Yeah. It always struck me as a challenging medium of theatre, or your genre of theatre. Is it something that you really enjoy, or, like, it can't... No, it's one of those weird things. Well, I, I did my first panto in Hackney Empire. Right. And um, my first ever panto was a royal, a royal variety one, where Prince Charles came, because it was, bef- it was in the year... It was the millennium. It was right. the turn of the millennium. And Hackney was going dark the year after because they were having a massive refurb. And Prince Charles came to see it. There was, what, two and a half thousand people and it's the first time I'd ever done a panto in front of anybody. Oh, God. And I just loved it. Yeah. I found a real release and a joy to it that you know, I thought I'd be a really cool film star. And it turns out I've just got too much energy and too much attack 
and I'm like a Labrador personality. I put this <laughs> screen on, and Panto is perfect for me. Yeah. Because the parts I'm allowed to play, I can break the wall, and I talk to people yeah. in the audience, and I do this, and, I do, and that freedom is wonderful. You know, I was lucky. I did the Hackney Empire one, and then I did tours around Britain. I've done Panto everywhere, really. Mm. Like I did twelve years of touring around everywhere, wow. and then I moved back to Cardiff and got to the riverfront, where they've allowed me to do a body one year, a good deed the year after. Then I do a team where I do an ugly sister. Then I do like a comic. Do, yeah. So I just get to play all of these different things and which which you know, which role is your favourite? Oh, my favourite one. I loved. Love, I loved I buttons. Yeah. I love, but it was the first one I did. That's my first one in Hackney with with an amazing company of like Sharon D. Clark as Fairy Godmother opposite me, and just just these amazing things, you know, just mental people all around me just doing <laughs> so good and so and I just kind of got to do my thing and loved it, loved it from yeah. there. And as I said. It was like I take it quite seriously as well because I do that. It was my introduction to theatre, mm. and I kind of go, "It's gonna be someone else's introduction to theatre as well." And do you mean? So you're like, okay. It's about giving them an experience so they might fall in love with theatre as a result. You never know. You don't you know. know. I know it is. It's easy to kind of poo poo it and oh, it's maligned and it's this and you know, loads of actors and all that. Oh, well, I'd never do panto. I'd never do that. And I just kind of go, okay, that's that's an option. But the work it takes to do it as well, you know, yes. from the way I do it, I go a hundred miles an hour at everything and I never pull off the energy or the attack and do that two shows a day every day six days a week four six weeks do you know what I mean it's like go on then let's see it you know and it's great and I do enjoy it and I love you know it's daft but I love trying to recreate that feeling of the audience my feeling of when I realised uh, there's something special yeah. going on, and I I want to get I want to give that to as many orders as I can. There must be days during a run though when you're like, oh, I can't do it this level today. I'm just yeah. knackered. How do you I, I, how do you deal with that? I always say to myself, it's kind of a running joke with people I work with. All right, I'm going to take it easy this show now. I'm going to take it easy. I've got a bit of a gargle in my yeah. throat. You know, I think I'm coming down with something. I'm going to go at, I'm going at 50%. And they all go, okay, Richard, 50%. I step <laughs> on the stage and I go, Rah! And, I, and they go, oh, that was 50%, was it? Well, your 50% is other people's 150%. <laughs> and it's just that, there's just that alchemy of audience of, I can't not give them everything I yeah. have at that moment. Do you know what I mean? I do, I come off, I have... It's kind of, I have costume changes for the interval because my costume is soaked that I have to take wow. off and put fresh yeah. costumes on because I'm just dripping and I run around and I jump at it and I and I can't just not do it. And people laugh, you know, they go, I did one scene and my mic goes on and they're like, nobody noticed. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I'm just going, ah, jumping up and 
mm -hmm. and the audience didn't notice I wasn't mic'd. Because oh, I, wow. just, I just go at it. And I, I don't know, it's just something in me yeah. that I do, you know. Um, I'm going to talk about The Pact next, which okay. is a TV series that has been very well received, um, yeah. directed by Eric Stiles. Um, yeah. So you filmed it during lockdown? Yeah. What yeah, was, it was, really, what it was, was the that first, like? It was the first one, but I think it was in... Uh, I think it was the end of August, September. So I, I was casting it in the February, yeah. and we were meant to be doing it in the March. And of course, oddly enough, nobody was doing anything about no. March of 2020 for a while. We all had a bit of a break. Um, so it was very much... I remember someone coming around and doing these tests, and we had to be tested, and it all felt new. And it's like, yeah. I think I have my nose... When I do this, we had to send things away, and we were in cohorted areas where some of us had been fully tested. Yeah. And then people who were art department or things who would get in and set up the day before weren't allowed near us wow. because we didn't want to cross the street yeah, or something yeah, yeah. of it. It's like, for me, for me, the greatest part about being on set is the working with other actors and socialising, and we weren't allowed to do that. Yeah. It was like masks on all the time until you film. So then sometimes working with some people, I'm like, I hadn't seen their faces yet until they took the mask <laughs> on. Also, first takes yeah. were like, oh my God, is that what your face looks like when you talk? Do you know what I mean? It's all really weird and, you know, just kind of, we put it on our own microphones and then right. we had plastic yeah. bags for our costumes we were all kind of hermetically sealed in our own trailers. Yeah. Where you ate on your own, you did this, you you travelled there on your own, you did makeup. Sounded very lonely. Sounded very lonely. It was really, really, really odd. Is the only way to describe it. But within two days, we were all used to it. And I think that's the amazing adaptability of humans, and especially artistic, creative humans yeah. that we went, let's get around this then. Because you're... And that's what we did. We worked our way around it and we, you know, they managed to do it. The, the, I was a section of it that was kind of in one location. So yeah. I was done in three weeks, I think. So we shot mine in three weeks and done. But then they had to create bubbles for each other location yeah. and each other group of people. So it's quite amazing and it's just... Yeah. The way they did it was brilliant, and you know, Eric was just mm. mind blowing. The way he kept everything in his head while also dealing with that, you know, and directing yeah. with the finesse and the detail that he did, and then had everything else going on as well, it was just immense, mm. you know. I'm gonna be honest, I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list, and I'm looking forward to watching oh, when is it. On the list? 75, is it? Like no, I no, was. Hey. 75, <laughs> like I was on this list of even I talked to. Okay, like, fair enough. <laughs> You're not taking it personally, Richard. Uh, I'm not taking it personally. You're watching Squid Game, are you? Are you doing that like I, I was? Uh, yeah, I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Kate It Up, which was at Theatre Clyde in August, doing summer, 
and you yeah. formed in short pieces by myself, Christine Phillips, and Jennifer Lunn. Yeah. How did it feel to be back on stage after so long away? Um, it was one of those really, it was a real exhilaration and joy of getting cast. And then, for the first time in my professional life as an actor, I questioned what I was going to do in a rehearsal. Because I suddenly went, can I do this again? Can I remember it? Will I be able to get the words in my head? And words became an issue for me, whereas they've never been an issue before, ever. And really weird thing. And it's all, of course, two years of feeling slightly out of the game. Yeah. You know, for nobody's fault. We were all in the same boat when we got there. No, nobody's been nobody's been making more to theatre without us. So it wasn't like a I've missed anything or felt back from it. But there was a really, really maybe like just feeling of rustiness. Yes. That got into my head a little bit for the first couple of days. As soon as we're doing it and you and you're going, of course. I know what to do here, and it felt good. And I've worked a lot of theatre career in the past. I hadn't worked there for 12 years. Right. It transpired before I went back to do Curtin Up. And so everything felt kind of comfortable and familiar. You know, I had Simon Neon there, spoke about earlier, who was like holding my hand through it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I love like a brother. So that was brilliant to have him with me. And then the amazing company that we had of people who were just there and open mm. and ready to play. Like Francesca Goodridge and Emil and John and Tamara, who were there as, I, I kind of say, Tamara was the director, but we had a directing team with us. Yeah. Because of the nature of it. That, you know, we just had people who were open and ready. And that was brilliant again. Just getting up and looking at somebody and going, let's go on a ride then. Let's see where we're going with this. Uh, and one, one of the elements of it was that there was a mystery random prop that was chosen at the start of each performance. Did yes. you enjoy that kind of liveness and unpredictability? Yeah, I I love that. Improv yeah. and unpredictability really, really rings my bell lot of stuff and I do a lot of improvised film work and okay. lots and lots of comedy stuff I did a, I did a scene called Tourist Trap which yes. is partially scripted but scripted in a very loose way where we get to, so you know it really rings my all of that it allows me to hit a lot of the things I use in Panto in a different tonal way yes like your piece you know, the prop that we hadn't seen was really tinged with melancholy and importance to us. And to, in a way that I kind of found joy in quashing the audience's enjoyment of it being something yeah. random, I love the feeling of going, all right, you're laughing now, wait a second. How do you... And, we... and then they go... Woof, and you get to flip the audience. I love that. How you know? how do I make this thing which seems completely irrelevant have yeah. weight and importance? Yeah. How do I get them to 
care about this. Yeah, especially because because of the way it was set up, they chose it. So they were in on a joke from the beginning, yeah. which is again my like my cardinal rule of comedy: the audience needs to know everything about it, or they don't need to know what's going on on stage. Do you know what I mean? So they've been allowed in, and they were like, "Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen?" And a few of the other props had been comedic up until yes. our point. And then we had it. So we allow them to have their kind of giggle. And then we just were actually, I pulled back on it a lot and just let your words do it. Oh. I just go, just listen to what I'm saying about this now. That's all I have to do mm-hmm. is say what this is. And you can feel the audience kind of pulling back from it. And I love that then. When you take them on a journey mm. they're not expecting, that's, that's being life, yeah. that's being there. It's great. And did you enjoy the challenge of learning three plays in a week? Or was that difficult? Did you find that difficult? I did, I did find it quite... What I found difficult was my own inability to get the precision that I usually demand of myself. Right. Quickly enough. Yeah. It was there by performance, but I was at kind of I was using days as going, This is the end of week three of rehearsal for me and I've been here four days. I should be more precise. Yeah. I should be more detailed. And I didn't know it. And then I just had to go and just allow myself to fall and mm. lean into it. And then you know what? The precision is actually there. And the detail was there, but only because I'd had, I'd got friends in the company who were before us as well, who gave me the heads up of work on it the week before yeah. as well. That's the truth yeah. of it. I think if I hadn't have done a lot of work prior, I wouldn't have had as enjoyable an experience in the rehearsal room. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And it was fantastic that, that tomorrow organise that and give so many people work yeah, so exactly. many people really good experience and I think, oh, and I think um, audiences were just beaming mm. people came back to see the same week two or three times because <laughs> yeah. it was a different show I don't know if you set up to people what it was but it was kind of you know there was what was it five shows yes. with two combinations of each show each one had a different so you could come and watch two nights well you could probably watch three nights in a row and have a different experience every night so yeah with different cast members in different roles and seeing how those dynamics worked was really interesting and so interesting and I hope, I mean, maybe it's something that Tamara could look at making an annual thing. I think it would be really good for the I, I think I think it's something as well that could move as well. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I think you, could do, you could have Company 1 in Cloyd maybe rehearsing while there's a Company 1 in the Sherman rehearsing. Mm. And then you just yes. pick them up and you switch the companies. So... You know, it's the same actors doing it, but rather than it being yeah. the one-week performance then, because there was a little bit of, oh, we've got to show six and, oh, I want another go at that one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We never that might go over that, so you could do that, and you could have, you know, you could have somebody in the, to- you could do three companies like we had, but one person's in the torch, 
Well, the person said, and you know, and you just... That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Isn't it? And just won't do it because Mm. we can do it because it was... The stage didn't change for the three sets of shows, really. Do you know what I mean? The staging was always the same. It was always in the round. Always in the round. And you can do that in the studio in the Sherman. You can do that in the Torchy. You can do that in Clyde. Yeah. So the conversation's worth having, I think. I think it is, and I think it's great, you know. And there's no, and again, there's no need to limit it to them. Maybe you have one with, you know, a group of writers from Scotland, and you yeah. go, okay, this is the Scottish week of it, and the Welsh week go up there, and you do this, or an Irish bunch, or you know, God forbid, an English one. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh, no. We, we can't have that. We can't have that. <laughs> The last thing I'm going to ask you, Richard, before yeah. I let you go, is what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry? Just starting out in the industry. I guess the, the thing that I tell every student and people I work with and I've done stuff with youth theatres is do everything you can. Any free workshop that comes your way be there and I go whether it's about um, if you want to be an actor if it's a writing workshop go to it if it's a design workshop if it's free go to it go to everything immerse yourselves in everything you can watch as many Mm. things as you can just get there you know and I know it's expensive and it's difficult now but go to scratch nights then where it's a fiver on the door go see stuff know who you like know who you don't like because yeah. that's as useful as well you know look for things do things don't forget who you are it's easy with training sometimes to try and become someone else so don't ever let yourself forget who you are but learn who you are through mm. doing things and go into it and it's always anything that's free do it yeah <laughs> that, that is my thing I go any workshop you can go to it. Make the most of any opportunity. Any opportunity. And I do mean, and within all the few, I did um, a session at Theatre Verenvach when I was like 14 <laughs> um, on a lighting course. I went yeah. and I did stage lighting with a guy called Daz James who now runs Royal Reg College. He's the stage management, the head yeah. of stage management. But I did that because I couldn't do all the shows, but I said, can I learn about that instead then? And they went, yeah, come and do like this. And I went, brilliant. And I learned so much mm. and found out so much stuff. And it's like, everything is valuable. Yeah. Do everything. Do everything. Absolutely. And if you're a young person who speaks Welsh, uh, there are theatre workshops available. The theatre Nanog are running with the youth yes. that you can take advantage of. I think there's information on the Nanog website um so go and have a look at that but for now i want to say thank you to richard for for giving a few time to that joke and vow um no no problem at all lovely to chat to you as always kira as always but that's all we have time for for this episode of in lockdown with my guest on the next episode will hopefully be Hannah McPick, um, 
she's taking a show at the moment, moment, but hopefully we'll nail the time to record down next week. But for now, it's bye for me, bye for Richard. Bye. Ta-da for now. Ta-da. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.